media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, open your Bibles to, to Psalm 4610. Psalm 4610. It's going to be kind of a, a familiar thing, but let me give you two kind of uh, caveats this morning of, of this. Number one, uh, realize that uh, we start at 10 o'clock and not 11 o'clock, so that gives us some extra time, okay? And realize I didn't get to preach last week. So what I'm saying is, settle in. Now, you know, we're going to, this is the, the verse kind of we're casting out there for the verse of the year, so we may be here just a little bit longer than normal. Uh, here's two assumptions that I make every single time that I, I try to make every single time that I get up to, to preach. Uh, before you or anybody else. Number one, that the same Holy Spirit that inspires me, that, that kind of guides me is the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, that guides you and, and can fill you. There's not a special unction that a preacher gets. We all are priesthood of believers. And so I have to count on that. I have to count on that when we come upon verses that uh, they're going, oh, man, is this what it says? And, and have we taken this wrong? Or have we ab- applied this in a different way? And so I have to trust that. And here's the other thing that I've shared with you many times before, and I I reiterate it today. I I preach to intelligent audiences. I I, I really, I don't think that we need to water things down. I think we need to make it teachable and understandable and those kind of things. But I think we have to respect that that God has given us a mind. And I have to respect that you have, you know, your time in the Word and that you you come and and that you, you are thinkers. I say that not so that we can start throwing out Greek and Hebrew and that we can do all these things and, you know, somehow make, you know, high postulate kind of ideas. No. So that when we come together and we're studying the Word of God, these are the things I depend upon. And so this morning I pray that you would do this because as we come to 4610, Psalm 4610, it is a familiar passage. When we open up your Bibles to that, uh, we see two things that kind of jump out from the very beginning from Psalm 46. Uh, the first one is right there in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Almost immediately when you see that in Psalms 46.1, we begin to see uh, maybe memories, maybe that, that are reminded of a time that God was our refuge. He was this strong and mighty tower, that he was the strength, this unspeakable strength that nobody else could give us, not even the people that loved us the most, a mom or a dad, a husband or a wife, and that God ministered on a level unlike any other human could, and we begin to see this incredible strength. And then that last part of very present help in trouble, that God was right there in the midst of all that. So perhaps this morning, even as we open up to the psalm, you, you begin to get these memories and this this intimacy with this word. And if you go down to verse 10, which is actually going to be our kind of uh, vision verse for 2022, we find perhaps the most famous part of this psalm. Uh, usually we, we only do the first part of it. What a tragedy that is that we would ever cut something short and that we don't take things in full context. But we come down to perhaps the most recognizable part of this psalm, one of my personal favorites, be still and know that I am God. How many of you have heard that verse before? So you're you're familiar with it, okay? And I imagine that there's an intimacy with that. 
I'd put out there uh, yesterday just on some of our advertisement, hey, here's our vision verse for 2022, and some people responded, and, and one of the most precious ladies in my life, my, my pastor growing up, uh, his wife, who's just always been such an influence on Carly and I, and uh, she said, this is my favorite verse. And I could just see Miss Sally, you know, going, oh, this is my favorite verse. And I can see her living this out and her experiences in her life. And so it does bring a lot of intimacy. I've chosen this for our vision verse of 2022 because I believe that's what God has for us. Uh, I think it's incredibly relevant to the time that we live in. And uh, I think it's a reminder of the God that we serve. However, with any verse, guys, we need to look at it in the context of the entirety of, of what was being spoken there. And I think that this verse lends itself to being warm and cuddly. And I'm going to challenge you today that it's not so much a warm and cuddly verse. You know, that, that sometimes when we get, uh, you know, be still and know that I'm God. I don't want to rob any of that intimacy from you. I think that when we look at it in context, it actually expands itself. I think it amplifies itself in an amazing way. And that's the challenge that I have this morning. And it's not to go around popping spiritual bubbles and thoughts and memories and intimacies that you've had, but for us to to see the context of how powerful this really is. Is there a side of this that is going to be warm and cuddly and fuzzy and kind of comfortable? I, I think so. It certainly has played that in my life sometimes. But there's a challenge here, and there's a depth here, folks, that is so applicable to the day that we live in. And I pray that uh, we would do uh, good to the word this morning, that we would just read in context. Let me tell you up front, uh, again, that you know our, our study day may change the way that you look at this verse. I don't apologize for that. Uh, you are so welcome to disagree with the pastor. Uh, one of the things, again... You have the same Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, that I have. And so that's why it, it, the body of Christ is so important that we can discuss things. And I invite you for anything that you might disagree with this morning, that you might find offensive, that you might even find unbiblical, that you would give me the decency of calling up and say, hey, hey, Bobby, you know, man, can we talk about this? And I promise you that it will be a discussion of respect. It will be a discussion of Hey, I, I see where you're coming from. Here, here's where I'm coming from. And uh, so so just know that that's out there. Well, now that you're probably going, what in the world is he going to say this morning? Let's, let's begin to dig into the context of Psalm 46. Remember that Psalms were their hymn book. These are songs that they would sing in worship. And there was all kinds of different psalms. There are some songs that very much are reflective on the majesty of God. There's others that are... Uh, called Songs of Ascent, that is, as they were kind of marching on to places. Uh, there are other songs like this that were sung in kind of a retrospect or a remembrance of something that God had done. More than likely, even though we're not exactly, exactly sure, we can't pin it because it doesn't say so in the title, uh, this is probably a psalm that was written in reflection of a victory that God had given to the nation of Judah uh, when Hezekiah was king against this Assyrian ruler that came. You can find that story in Second Kings 18 and 19. You can find that story in Isaiah 36 and 37. And so if you want to do the background check, you can see this. But what happened is that God gave them a, a victory 
that there's no other explanation but the majesty of God and the power of God. Has he ever done that in your life? I mean, there's sometimes that you're thinking, okay, God, thank you that you enabled me or you equipped me, and we kind of navigated this, and you feel like God very much was the power behind it, but, you know, he cooperated or, you know, you cooperated with him probably would be the, the better theological term. But have there ever been those times that there is no explanation, no explanation whatsoever for this happening except for the majesty of God? It's just it's so clear. It's not like it's 50-50, not even 75-25, but it's just it's just those times that God is just being totally God in the sense that he's just overwhelming that situation. That's the background of this passage. The victory that they had, if it is what we find back there in those two places in the Old Testament uh, with King Hezekiah, Israel, Judah in this case, could not take any credit whatsoever. God just did it. They came out and they had total victory in impossible, possible situations. Well, that's the background, and and so we begin to see why the writer then would say what he does in verse 1. Now, again, here's one of the challenges that we always have with the Word of God. We say the writer. We're talking about Paul. We're talking about John. We're talking about Mark. We're talking about Moses. We're talking about David. And we're talking about these writers that God did use to write his Word. But any time that we ever say that, we have to always be reminded that this, we believe, is the inspired Word of God. So when I say, you know, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I have to still understand that, yes, Paul was the one that got inspired to write that, but it's God's word. Does that make sense? And so when we say, okay, Moses said this, or this writer, we don't really know who this writer is specifically, but when we say this writer, it's not like, you know, just, just, you know, Joe Smith came along and decided to write this, and they said, that sounds good, let's put it in the Bible. This is the word of God. God is the ultimate author of this. But this particular writer who's writing this song to go into their hymn book so that they could sing on their Sabbath a worship for God, reminded of this great victory that God and only God could do, wrote these words. Psalms 46.1 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Think about it. If you found yourself in an impossible situation and God brought you victory over an enemy that there was no other way to explain it, would you not come away with kind of these three descriptors of God? Wouldn't it be easy to say, okay, God, you're my refuge because I was under attack. And so you're my place of safety. Number two, God, God, you are my strength. When I had no strength whatsoever, God, you are my strength. And God, you were a very present help in trouble. Literally, the, the word says, a help to be found exceedingly. The, the word trouble there means a tight place. Have you ever been in a tight place? I mean, think of the, the, the people of God, the as, as the people of God are, are moving away, God has freed them from captivity there in Exodus, and they go, and then all of a sudden they're up against the Red Sea, and they have Pharaoh's army behind them. That's a tight place. And we see biblically that there's a lot of times when people of God get into a tight place. Well, this word trouble there, that's what it means, in a tight place. And it says, God, in the tight place, you're there. What a hope. I don't know that you and I are waiting and 
wanting tight places next week. I don't know that that's really our wish for 2022. God, put me in tight places. Put me in places where it seemingly there's just a sea before me and an army behind me. And both want my destruction. And yet the promise here is that this is who you are, God. This so impressed Martin Luther, the great reformer, that one of the greatest songs I believe ever written by man was written based on this song. Uh, it's a really hard song to sing. We've sang it once or twice in the, in the church before, but it's a hard song to sing as far as this, not because it's an old song in over 500 years, because it's just, a, it's just a hard song because musically, but a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not as equal. I mean, you're talking about a song that is just in bedrock of scriptural truth. This song is that powerful. And this is where Martin Luther, he's, everybody believes that he was reading Psalms 46 and that, that this is kind of what helped him pen this great song. So this song, this hymn, is a great reminder of the reflection of, of who God really is, even in the time of great trial. But let me ask you this. Will there be times, even after God has done undeniable victory in our lives, that you begin to wonder if God is in control? Is it inevitable that if God has got you out of a tight place, where there is no other explanation except for just the power, the majesty, the grace of God. Is it automatic that no matter what then unfolds for the future, that we always come back to that and that we always have just this natural remembrance of, okay, God, you're that kind of God. Or is there a challenge in new type places to remember the God of the last type place? And I think that's why this is written. I think that's why we have this instruction. Uh, look at the description that's there in verse 2 and 3. The writer uses a lot of illustration, a lot of imagery there. Um, but we really do begin to, to understand the, the thrust of what they're trying to say. Verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though, you can certainly, if you believe in writing your Bible, I encourage you to do that. It's a workbook. Under, Circle the word though. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though, circle that word, the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble as its swelling. Selah. Which is a pause. We really don't know what that word means, but it means pause reflect on the majesty of God. First word of that verse, verse 2, is what? Therefore, so we're linking, the author is linking together what he just said in verse 1. God is our refuge, he is our strength, and he is a very present help. Therefore, here, here's, here's something that we have now as both a command, but also as this connection, because God is this, that even though we begin to see these other things happening, we come back to that same conclusion. And this is the difficulty of the faith life, guys. We talk about it a lot because this is the challenge of the faith life. But even if God has done the impossible, the unexplainable, 
that somehow the next tight spot kind of presents a, a certain amount of things that could give us a little bit of fear. And so what does the author do? What does God do in his word here? He says, okay, therefore we will not fear though. And then he begins to talk about a reality that could happen. He's using imagery, but look what he says. The earth gives way, though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea. Now, what is he trying to do there? He's being poetic, and yet he's being realistic at the same time. Mountains here, we think, are an imagery of those things that are just solid. I mean, have you ever been out west and seen the Rockies? I mean, have you ever seen some of the majestic mountains of the world? And you're going, nothing can ever move that mountain. And yet the author describes here, what about when those mountains, these things that are stable, that we can count on, that are just always going to be, what happens when they begin to get thrown into the sea? Some people believe that he was talking about political things here. That is, as, you know, as the Assyrians would do this, and as the Babylonians would do this. And here God has established the people of God, the nation of Israel, and yet we would see these nations come. And so does it? can it have a political context? It can. Can it have a, a, a spiritual context? Certainly. But are we living in a day and age, would you say in 2022, where things that we thought were just unmovable, we think, well, no, this is never going to change in my lifetime. And yet we see things changing in society. Does it bring fear? I asked some of the elders this morning, we were just, there was a few of us guys back there, and, uh, uh, and I said, guys, can you imagine living in the world today if you're 80 or 90 years old? And, and some of you may be 80 or 90. I, I say this in total respect. You have seen in your lifetime more mountains, figuratively, illustratively, move into the sea, cast into the sea, that you thought, man, that's never going to change. And if we're not careful, it will rock our world, guys. You don't have to be 80 or 90 to say, what in the world is truth anymore? What in the world is real? What What is stable? And yet, the scripture here tells us, therefore, therefore what? That God has strength and refuge. He's our very present health in these tight places. Though these things might happen around us, though the waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at swelling. This is not escapism. And in reality, is there not a part of you that wants Christianity to be escapism? God, will you, will you present for us over here a little holy huddle and kind of surround, you know. Remember the Old West? They'd build these forts out there in the middle of the wilderness. And all of a sudden there'd be this fort and the Calvary was there and that was your safety. And there's a part of this scripture that says, okay, God is our safety, but he's not saying that there's this, this place of safety. And in reality, guys, if you just want to ask us in a very frank way, we want a place of safety rather than a God of safety. Would you agree with that? We want a world that's kind of not filled with tight places. We we want a God that, you know, we want this God, but, but we really want kind of this escapism. And that's not what the scripture is saying here. Therefore, even though these things happen, though, 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 
God hasn't changed. The writer of this psalm is pretty dramatic in his description of the catastrophe. Though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. These are not everyday occurrences. This isn't, oh, I have a flat tire. Oh, I got a spot on my clothes. <laughs> this isn't inconveniences of the world. These are great tragedies. These are great movements in society. These are things that are unsettling. Mountains, things that are established, are being thrown into the sea. And yet on that extreme level, God is telling us here that God, <laughs> I'm your refuge. I'm your strength. I'm an ever-present help in the tightest of all places. And so look at the connection that the author is making. Though the foundational and the most stable things in the world seem to change and are even destroyed, we will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge, our strength, and a very present help in the trouble. Do you see that connection? Now, we live in this world of foundational change. Things that we never thought would change are changing. And so what is our reaction? Our reaction is to turn even that much more into the intimacy of knowing our God. It's easy to worry and fear when we see the earth give way. But world events do not determine who God is. Calamities do not determine the nature of God. It is, in fact, they ultimately prove who he is. Look down at verse 6. The nations rage... And the kingdom's totter. Now again, if you're the nation of Judah, if you're the people of God, and you see the Assyrians, you see the Babylonians, you're going, okay, at any moment in time, they can come over the horizon, and are they going to take us into captivity again? Are they going to take us and, and plunder us? Are they going to take our husband, I mean, our, our wives and our children? Are, are they going to come and, and to have victory over us? And so this is kind of in their mind. And he said, okay, the nations rage. And one of the things that we see in that word is that they make a lot of noise. Do we live today in a world that's pretty silent or a world that is, would you say, is pretty noisy? The nations rage, they're noisy. The kingdom's daughter, he utters his voice, talking about God here. And what happens? The earth melts. Imagine a shouting match between the nations and God. The nations rage. They scream with incredible noise to the point where other nations fall and totter and fail. And God utters his voice. And what happens? The earth melts. The writer is trying to give us the description. Okay, yes, is there going to be nations that rage? Is there going to be a lot of noise in our world? And is admitting that it is. He says, but guys, look what happens when God raises his voice. All these other things, they they make no stand against God. The the earth melts. Folks, and and, and we have a, a choice in the times that we live. When the incredible noise coming from the powers of the moment, whatever that is, you can make that a political sense, you can make that a moral sense, you can make that a, you know, whatever you want to make of that. And they're screaming. And if you listen to the fear, the results that they might bring uh, into our lives is that we begin to see a tottering. But when we turn our minds toward the God who has called us his own, 
then all of a sudden we see the authority that is there. And that's the command of verse 8 and 9. Look at verse 8 and 9. First word. Come. It's both a command and an invitation. Have you ever had a command that was kind of put out as an invitation? (laughs) And yet you knew that it was a command? That's what God does here. He, he invites us, and yet there's, there's a command, there's an authority. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease, uh, wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Now, what, what in the world is he talking about? Again, put it in a historical perspective. The nation of Israel, they're looking around. And back then, the number of bows, the number of chariots, the number of spears, that is the strength of your army was the strength of your nation. The bigger the army, the more mighty and equipped that army is, that is the strength of your nation. And so Israel is sitting there, and and you can only imagine that the, the people of God, as they see people like the Assyrians and the Babylonians and other nations of the world, you can see that, wow, they're they're bigger than we are. And yet the reminder here is that God is over all this, that God breaks the spears, he, he, he breaks the bows, he, he puts chariots to fire. Silly illustration. I'll show my age with this one. Anybody remember the, 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 the movie Crocodile Dundee? And he goes to New York with the reporter and he's there and so this guy from the outback, you see, he's there and he's just walking around and some guys come up and I forget if they want his hat or they, they want his money or anything and so they pull a knife and says, you know, give me your hat, your money or whatever it is. And Crocodile Dundee, this is one of my favorite parts of that movie, looks back and he pulls out his knife and he says, you call that a knife? I'm not trying to be silly here. Certainly not trying to be disrespectful to the word of God. But in a silly way, isn't that what this psalmist is saying? That this world goes out and goes, okay, I want you to do this, and I want you to be compelled, and, and you understand the power that we are. And it's almost as if God says, you call that a knife. Not trying to be disrespectful, not trying to be silly. Trying to give perspective here of what the author is trying to show us. That ultimately God... Is mighty in this. Folks, don't think for a moment that in 2022 that there will not be loud noise from seemingly powerful things of, of this world and enemies in our lives. We begin to see foundational things that we thought would never, never, never be moved and they're cast into the sea. And all of a sudden it begins to trouble our heart and, and fear can be a result of that. Anger can be a result of that. What does God call to be the result of that? When we see a world ever changing before us, and seemingly it doesn't seem like we're in control, or that God, ultimately that God is in control. Verse 10. That's where the command comes in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This whole psalm has been written, if you remember your language things, in third person. This one verse is in first person, meaning somebody is speaking this. Who is the speaker in verse 10? God. 
And that's really without question. And it makes it very obvious because he says, be still and know that I am God. So God is speaking here. All third person, first person, and God makes this declaration. Who is he speaking to? And this is our question. Because there's actually two people being addressed in this psalm. Verse 1 is the people of God. The people that know this intimacy and this walk with God. The other are these enemies of God. You might think, well, you know, it's so obvious because this is one of my favorite verses that he's talking to the people of God. If you're, don't be intimidated by this question. How many of you think that when he, he's saying this, be still and know that I am God, that he's talking to the people of God? Uh, raise your hand if you, you believe that. Okay. How many of you believe that maybe he's talking to the enemies of God? Okay. And how many of y'all are going, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he is. I mean, my belief that he is. You go back and you read some of the great uh, scholars of the world, and they're going to say that he is definitely talking to the enemies of God. Others are going to say, no, he's talking to the people of God. Notice the first two commands that are given. The first command is to be still. And it's not as gentle as it sounds. You know, a lot of times, again, when we kind of wrap this verse, and be still and know that I'm God. It's, it's kind of cute and cuddly. Kind of got a little bit of a pacifier and a little bit of a blankie to it. Can I say blankie? You know, I'm a grandfather. I can say blankie, okay? And, and actually, when we begin to see what is being said here and the tone that's being said, and we always have to be careful. This is where just good study helps us to, to get as accurate as we can, but we're still making pretty educated guesses. The tone isn't kind of blanky material, guys, and it's not really pacifier materials. It's actually a command. It's pretty authoritative. And, and the word here is to be still. The actual Hebrew means to cease fighting, cease striving, ultimately surrender. So it's not just No, it's a command there to be obedient to the authority of God. If this is given in that context to the people of God, it has application. Does Bobby Linkus need to know to cease fighting? How many of y'all are planners, problem solvers? The mind's always kind of thinking. Even when there's really some, un, you know, you have no power to do this, but yeah, yeah, okay, I will figure this out. Man, that describes at least my attempt. And how many times has God had to say, not, shh, here's a blinky, here's a passy. Bobby, stop. Cease striving. Cease your planning. And so it's just a call into complete stillness. No, it's a call that cannot be separated from the next statement. And know that I am God. He's not calling us into this passive, okay, I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting here. But there's a command here, guys. And it's a lot harsher, it's a lot louder, and it's a lot more aggressive when you look at the original language than some passy and some blanky 
And God says, okay, go in the corner and just, you know, I'll kind of we'll pet you like we but a little dog or something. I'm not trying to ruin this for anybody. I'm just trying to be authentic to the word of God. And what I come away with, if this word is to the people of God, because I agree with you, I think this is to humanity. And humanity is going to be separated into the people that are for God and the people that are against God. And I think both of these have application here. To me, it has application in 2022 to be reminded that I need to cease striving and that there's times that God says, stop planning and know that I am God. You're figuring this out on this kind of linear level down here, Bobby. And I want you to know there's some things that you cannot plan for, you cannot figure out, and they're way far beyond you. Well, why would we draw that conclusion? Because that's what he's, that's the whole psalm is based on this. They're all sitting there going, man, this victory we cannot take any credit for. This was all God. We didn't sit there and go, okay, what if we send 20 men over here at 3 a.m. in the morning? And another 200 of you going over this way. And then when the sun comes up at 6.10 in the morning, you come from the left, you come from the right, and we'll converge and we'll come from the front. Do you understand that? This is not man who said, okay, we got this great victory over those Syrians because we've devised this miraculous, wonderful plan. We have no explanation except the God, the Lord God, did this. We, we take no credit for it whatsoever. We can't even begin to take credit. This is unexplainable. And are there times in the tight places that God wants to tell you, brother or sister in Christ, cease planning. Stop fighting. Surrender. And that's not the period. And know that I am God. What is more fruitful at that point? Your plans? <laughs> and how smart you can to, to, to make an angle of this are to know that he is God. And here's the thing, guys. You're going to make that decision, and I'm going to make that decision in 2022. And we're going to make that over and over and over again. And there's going to be times that we're going to be sitting there and our mind is coming up with, with all kinds of things. And we're not talking... Uh, There's nothing necessarily evil about trying to problem solve. We have to do it on our jobs. We have to do it in life all the time. But there's going to be times that God says, stop. Be still. But not in a passive way, in a very aggressive way. Know that I am God. So that's if if it applies to us. What if God was talking, as many scholars believe, and, and I see very much where it could be, to the enemies of God? Does that lessen the power of this verse? No, as I was talking to Carly on the way here this morning, and we both began to weep. Because what if God is saying to the enemies, the ones that are taking established and throwing mountains to the sea, be still. And know that I am God. And now let's read the rest of the verse. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. As I, my heart is in need for the enemies, the things against God. 
for God to make this declaration. In a day and age when we see mountains being thrown into the sea, I need to know that my God says to that, to that thing, just as Jesus said, remember when, when in, in Mark chapter four, and all the disciples are freaking out. Waves are coming. Don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus stands and what does he say? Peace be still. If you look at some, if you look at the word, you can very put cease, be still. And he commands instantly. And what happened to the Magos waves and the Magos storms? Remember when we've said that before? That there was a Magos calm. Do you see the application in both ways? Not trying to burst your, your, your bubble. Don't want you to go home and get your cross stitched. Be still and know that I am God and burn it in the fire today. No, no, not trying to do any of those things. Do you see the majesty of this? Do you see the majesty? That sometimes we do need not that still small voice when he says, okay, peace be still, that this is a command and it's a pretty authoritative command and it's a command that does not lead to a passivity, but it leads to a direction and know that I am God. And can you see God pronouncing that to those powers of the world that seemingly are prevailing against our beliefs and and even the things of God? Be quiet it. Cease and know that I am God. When God begins to say that and he talks about how he will be exalted among the nations and exalted about the earth, I don't know about you, but that brings peace to my heart and my life. And all of a sudden, 2022 is not nearly as intimidating. So I've already kind of revealed, Pastor, what do you think? I believe that it fits both. I think that God is telling me personally to stop, cease striving. I'm not saying I'm a good thinker, but I'm a planner. I'm a, trying to figure it out. And there's times that God just wants to say, stop. Stop. And know that I'm God. This text, this verse, has incredible application in reflection to whatever audience it was spoken. It is God commanding and in authority. It is God declaring that he will be exalted. And that's what I need in the days of uncertainty ahead. I don't say that as some kind of discouragement for 2022. I just say the reality of the days that we live in. My goodness, did you think that we'd still be dealing with COVID two years later? I mean, there's just uncertainty there, guys. That doesn't make us, make us pessimists. doesn't make us, you know, let's all get in a, a kind of a, a cave and, and hide. No, what it means is, man, do you feel, are, are, you, are you pretty uncertain that you're not in control? You have responsibility. The Bible calls us to responsibility. But is there enough of the world going on? Is there enough of the things to, to, to go, okay, you ultimately cannot navigate this by your own kind of navigating proudness. So what is the answer? What does God say? Be still, Bobby. Cease. And know that I am God. Here's my thought for 2022. 
Okay, so you don't need a quiet time so you can check off a box and go, okay, I've been a good little Christian today. You need time in the Word of God because you need to know God. And the Word of God is one of the major ways that God teaches us about Him. I put great faith in God's ability and the Holy Spirit to reveal to me, but the Holy Spirit never says anything that's not already in the Word of God. He's always going to give me further descriptions and further explanations of what I see in the Word of God. Does that make sense? In other words, if somebody came out and said, well, the Word of God told me to do it and it was contrary to Scripture, I'm going, the Word of God, I mean, the the Spirit of God didn't tell you that because the Spirit of God is not going to be contrary to the Word of God. Guys, we need to be people of the Word. Not so that we can just say, man, I did my 10 minutes. It's like exercise. I feel spiritually fit now. I'm ready. No, we need God and we need to know more about God. And have God constantly influencing and directing our lives. I would suggest also books. And I don't think that books, we have to be careful with books. Because books are written by man. And I think that many are inspired. You know. And, and, and these are godly men. One of my favorites is, is always going to be Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Because you're just looking at the characteristics of God, the attributes of God. I, I like that. I know some people that read it every single year, and they've done so for 20-plus years. It's just one of many books, but if if you just had 15 minutes to spend, spend it in the Word of God, okay? And then you can use different ones of entrusted authors that have just stood the test of time that we know are just so biblically sound, and, and you can read that, and that helps. I don't know how many times in my discipleship guys, and we're sitting there going, man, I'm confused, and also we're reading this great theologian, and we're going, great, now it makes sense. Because it took really smart guy who wrestled with that text to give us some understanding, but then it's confirmed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. You might be here this morning, you might, and I'm about to close. You might be here this morning and you might say, well, this is all pretty mystical and everything. It's not meant to be mystical, but guys, we cannot take the natural and not see that it's, you know, or the supernatural and try to make it natural. You just can't. You can't take something, you can't take God and make him natural. He's supernatural. You can't take the principles of God and make them just kind of natural. I mean, they have a natural application, but they're supernatural. And so we have this impossibility that we're just going to try to take something that is high and majestic in the things of God and to try to make them just all, you know, completely man-made. It just doesn't work that way. These things, if you want to call it mystical, I guess you could use that word. It's not my preference. I think they're just biblical. I think they're just godly. I think those are supernatural. And that's my encouragement to you. Is that no matter how you read this and how you want to apply it, go back and and again, I entertain any questions this week, any thoughts that you might have. But I just know that this applies to me in both of those aspects. And I believe that there's a part of me that God is saying, that God is saying to me, stop, stop, cease thinking for a moment about the problem and know that I am God. And perhaps that's what he would speak to you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, we don't need your word just for knowledge. 
We need it for transformational power. We need it for encouragement. We need it because, as you said in these verses, though this happened, though this happened, though this happened, Father, that your word is always going to direct us back, that you are a refuge, you are a strength, you are the very present help in tight places. And so, Father, we, the body of Christ, we we do, Father, thank you for this command in verse 10. And, Father, we thank you that it has an aggressive tone to it. Be still. Cease. Surrender. And know that I am God. But, Father, I thank you that that this also applies to those things that seemingly are uncontrolled out there, Father, things that that are just overwhelming this world, that, Father, you, the declarative, authoritative, sovereign voice over all creation, speak these things. And so, Father, help us to rest in that. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to truly be students of your word. Help us to, Father, be diligent, Father, in our hunger and our thirst to be in your word on a continual basis this year as we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.